Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. This is the podcast that digs all wins no matter how small. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Laura's deputy Blake. On today's show we're talking about turning vegetables into art and rounding up your jobs for the week. But first up, sitting next to us is Lucy Stark, who you may know on social media as She Grows Veg. Hello Lucy. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No problem, it's a pleasure. Welcome to rainy Colchester. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a, a gorgeous day. day today, isn't it? <laughs> I'm totally worse. over rain. <laughs> Am I supposed to say that as a gardener? I Probably think, not. You <laughs> said it now, it's too <laughs> It's out there. Damn it. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for coming on. You've been doing some really exciting stuff lately, so I thought we'd start with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling very, very lucky that I've got I've got all these interesting things happening. So I've been uh, looking at innovative ways of growing food and and alternative ways because I feel like um, as our climate changes, everything's becoming a bit more challenging, mm. and things are going to have to evolve within agriculture and horticulture, and just and for us as home growers as well, we have to mm. adapt. So looking at lots of the things that are happening in industry, like um, use of hydroponics and aeroponics and that kind of thing and visiting those farms and then as an extension to that I thought what could be what could be more innovative than space (laughs) (laughs) so I thought I'll have a punt and I'll just get in touch with the space agency and see what they've got to say and actually um, they were really really up for working together so um, I've ended up kind of partnering with them to report on all their work um, with sustainability and food and ecological life support systems so basically the idea is if we're going to explore deeper into space Mm -hmm. we need to be able to support life Um, and so the best model of a life support system that we have is the planet earth it Mm -hmm. does it very well (laughs) uh, if we haven't screwed it up completely it does it very very well (laughs) so basically the idea is that they're trying to kind of replicate that on a small scale to create a self-sufficient mini ecosystem Mm -hmm. that would operate within a spaceship and therefore be able to kind of recycle all the waste products and clean the air produce Mm. new oxygen produce water and obviously also some food so there would be higher on order lower order plants involved with that like uh, algae that can also be edible and um, literally tomatoes and peppers and vegetable plants and that would provide about 20% of the food necessary for the journey because we can't if we're going to go into space there's not enough room to take enough oxygen enough water Mm. enough food and everything so it has to there has to be something that produces those things so it's absolutely fascinating research and really Mm. really relevant because then all those recycling systems have sustainability possibilities for earth Oh, wow. So um, already like the water recycling systems are being used in um, breweries and things. Um, so it's the, the technology is already in use. So space the innovation's technology. there, but then it's kind of like, how can we bring it, this back to work? Exactly. So it sounds really kind of futuristic yeah. and, you know, science fiction-y. But actually, it has really important applications here mm-hmm. and for, for sustainability on this planet. So it, it, it's actually really, really relevant. So it's fascinating stuff to be involved with. So it's just starting. Um, it's going to be mainly based on YouTube, but will obviously also feature on my Instagram because everything features on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, be, being able to kind of take you inside the the space agency and into the training modules and into the research stations. And um, hopefully in October, should be meeting up and talking to some of the astronauts and see what they've actually grown and eaten in space. Wow. And that's it's so all, exciting. It is. It is. It's really exciting. I kind of uh, can't believe it. Well, that's assuming I can ever get on a plane again and go anywhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> 
does the zero gravity thing affect the impact? It does. So it has a, it has an effect on how plants grow because gravity affects how all cells function. Yeah. So the cells of a plant grow uh, differently and they actually grow in, in spirals without gravity and sunlight. They mm-hmm. kind of don't have anything to directionally aim at. So they grow in a spiral formation, which uh-huh. is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Well? There's nothing to go towards. Or... Yeah, exactly. But then also apparently... Um, Zero gravity has a big impact on taste. So uh, your blood supply, <laughs> we're getting really sciencey now, <laughs> but I find it really, really cool. It's really yeah. interesting. So um, your blood supply de- depends on gravity to move your blood around your body. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have gravity acting on your blood, it pools in your head <laughs> and your tongue swells. And because the surface area of your tongue is different, everything tastes different. Wow. So they have to completely redo all the recipes for this food for the space station because people just can't tolerate the same flavours at all when they're in space. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. It's crazy, isn't it? You might like things in space that you wouldn't like here. Precisely. And like your favourite food might taste absolutely poorly yeah. to <laughs> Oh yeah, it sounds less good yeah, now. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking of all the new foods I might want to eat. But, yeah. The moral of this story, never take cheese into space. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, that just sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> Laura manages to talk about cheese probably five times a day. Fair enough. Just cheese is great. Cheese is great. <laughs> Not a vegan then. Well, but back to plants. Anyway. <laughs> So as well as the, obviously, the really exciting new projects you're working on, would you say there have been any real successes that stand out to you in your career in horticulture so far? Well, I think um, like a big moment for me was um, completely redoing my garden to be a fully edible garden. Mm-hmm. That was kind of at the end of 2019. And I literally ripped everything out of the garden. Mm-hmm. If it was ornamental, it went. And um, everything in the borders and everything was replaced by edible plants. Now, that's not to say it just became one big veg patch. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have edi- like ornamental borders. Mm-hmm. It's still um, a garden. If you walk around it, it would look like any other garden. It's got the borders are full of flowers mm-hmm. and, and everything. But every single thing in there provides a crop of some description. And I think it was just great to see it kind of come back to life at the beginning of last year. And, uh, you know, because I did it when everything was dormant and you do it when you, you can't see any of the plants, you're still in your head. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, this is going to work, but we'll see. And <laughs> and then it came, it came, all came back and, and it, it was really, it really worked. And it, it works as a, as a, as a garden, as just a place to spend time and, and enjoy, you know, time outside mm-hmm. and, and a beautiful place to be. And you can eat part of all of it and um, and I think if you've got limited space and you 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 don't want to compromise mm-hmm. on on beauty and food and you mm-hmm. want the best of both worlds you can have that so I think that was a that was a kind of a, an important moment for me just proving that kind of to myself almost that yeah you didn't have to compromise there's not mm-hmm. a choice to be made you can you can have the best of both worlds and are there any crops or plants in particular that you think work really well for that as kind of like doubling up as Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my favourite is uh, Zingiba Mayoga, which is the Japanese hardy ginger. Now, it's like I, I don't understand why it's not in every garden because it's amazing. Right. <laughs> um, it's it's it is a ginger rel- relative, but you don't eat the roots like you would on a on a normal ginger. And obviously, ginger is a tropical plant, the ginger that we're all familiar with with mm. cooking with, mm. um, which you can grow, but then it will die back in um, in winter and it's very frost tender. Um, but this is a hardy plant and it grows really, really well in borders here. And it looks beautiful. It's like a 
beautiful foliage plant, similar kind of leaves to uh, your classic ginger plant. Um, but it gives you two different crops. So in spring, you can eat the new shoots a bit like you would harvest asparagus. Oh, so right. you can take a portion of the new shoots and they're like a, you have them like a stir fried greens, mm. uh, kind of tightly where they're still all tightly wound together mm. in a shoot um, but with a kind of gingery tang it's oh, really lovely. lovely and then at the end of summer and into autumn it puts up flowers but they kind of they come out of the soil up to a foot away from the plant so they kind of come off runners um, and they are a massive delicacy in Japan and the flowers that you get them as the flower bud when it's still really tight mm. and it's just this really crisp burst of gingery flavour. It's like nothing I've ever that had before. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and gonna try it now. You should, you should. It's brilliant. Has um having this entirely edible garden, has it changed the way that you're cooking as well? Well, it has, because <laughs> to begin with, it was a concept. So mm. like I said, I wanted to kind of prove that it could be done. And it's not that it hadn't been done before, but, you know, it was something that I was passionate about and I wanted to just make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up with all these, you know, I did all the research and found all these plants that, you know, kind of did the best of both worlds and provided a crop and provided, um, you know, a, be- a beautiful border plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it worked and they all grew. And um, I was like, well, well, I've got to eat them now. <laughs> <laughs> no one's eating this stuff. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's not really recipes or anything. And, and I, like, I, I love food, but I'm going to level with you. Like I don't really love cooking. I love eating. I eat any, anytime you want. But it's just the whole cooking part, and I never seem to have enough time. So I mm. thought, do you know what? People should now see how you eat these plants. Mm. Um, because, yes, in theory, we've discussed the fact that dahlias can be mm. eaten, but who's actually, actually dug up the yeah. dahlia yeah. tubers and eaten them? Yeah. So let's do it. So that's when I got in touch with um, Chef. Um, Mike Keane, who's a kind of local chef uh, around here, and said, "Do you want to cook some more weird fish and see what <laughs> it's like um, on YouTube and kind of do a cooking show?" And, yeah. But actually, all around the slightly less usual plants, and so not not to do it as a novelty, but genuine to say, "Do you know what? You really can eat them, mm-hmm. and they are genuinely an option for food. And this is like a, a realistic way to, to prepare them." I think sometimes that's what po- puts people off from. Um, growing those more unusual things is that they just don't really know it's, it is a novelty yeah, because they get yeah. to the end of the season and then they don't know what to do with them yeah, or how exactly. to use them so it's, it's good to find yeah, them out exactly so yeah and and they are they are delicious Delic- dahlias were good I've really still good. not I've still not done it I've still not tried them <laughs> well, people are like to do list yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should do dahlia rosti or oh, it's good we'll call, yeah. we'll call that magazine research yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so obviously we've chatted a bit around successes, which leads us into the next thing that we like to cover <laughs> off, those things that haven't gone quite so well on the plot. Do you have any stories to tell us about those? Do you know what? I've got a really good one for you. Okay. <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> and no one knows this yet either. Ooh, so this is like a proper scoop <laughs> for you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's it's so bad (laughs) okay so at the beginning of the year I did a YouTube video about how to propagate sweet potatoes in water Mm -hmm. and it was really really popular and 
it's really taken off. It's going to be like the year of the sweet potato. I've accidentally started something here. <laughs> Every day I get like um, lots of people putting stories up and tagging me on Instagram, showing me the progress of the sweet potatoes. And it's been amazing, like the uptake uh, yeah. of this and how enthusiastic everyone's been. And yeah, there's literally, there's going to be sweet potatoes on every plot. So I've got <laughs> always in my stories, all these pictures of other people's potatoes. <clears throat> Problem is <laughs> my sweet potatoes got red spider mite last week oh, and I had no. to get rid of them all oh. before it spread so um after starting this huge craze for propagating sweet potatoes I don't have any oh, <laughs> no. and everyone's going to be looking to you for I advice know. and stuff I know so so yeah I'm gonna have to fess up yeah. on on Instagram I think like next week or so and go do you know what guys you've all been doing really really great <laughs> so someone sent me some slips <laughs> I, don't, I now don't have any <laughs> well that's good that um other people are doing it as well because you can now find out how not to get red spider by exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> have you got any sort of tips for do you know where it went wrong or anything like that Oh, uh, do you know what red spider mite is the bane of my life? Yeah. That and and um, fungus gnat things. Mm. Oh, they're my two top pests, and it literally every year without exception, I get red spider mite in the greenhouse in some way. It doesn't matter what I do, and um, and then yeah, literally, I only have to think about propagating and look at, ba at a bag of compost, and then my <laughs> house is filled with scarred flies, oh. fungus gnats. So yeah, and so I'm trying. Um, biological controls mm. for the first time this year mm -hmm. so i've um just got a load of kind of predatory mites mm. so it just it uh, you know it feels weird introducing more bugs to kill yeah. the bugs yeah. but yeah. i'd rather have the right bugs yeah. <laughs> yeah but realistically if you're gonna grow things in the house pests become a massive problem they mm. just breed like wildfire and they love it and i do i do grow a lot of stuff indoors so trying to perfect a way to get rid of them is still that a just because it's progress. so warm and I think yeah, yeah. it's just it's a it's just the perfect environment it's warm it's dry it's you know there's every level of nook and cranny for them mm. to um you know breed and then you know the the predators that would probably naturally prey on them more outside they're just not there yeah mm. so um yeah I, I I'm really passionate about being able to grow inside because yeah. there's a lot of people that can only grow inside mm. so yeah. I'm really working on finding the right solutions because you, you you know where what however you garden you get pests and yeah. that the same goes for inside as well to a certain extent you have to kind of accept that wildlife exists yeah. and it's yeah. going to come <laughs> along <laughs> and ruin stuff sometimes yeah. but um there are ways to keep it under control so i'm just kind of uh, you know that's a work in progress it's something i'm still trying to figure out is the best way to approach dealing with those things but yeah unfortunately did not get to the sweet potatoes in time. When I came back from America, they were oh. Oh, infested oh. and it was not, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> so with growing inside, do you have, um, have you come across any really good shortcuts or solutions to things to overcome any problems from, you know, growing in a limited space? Because it can be a challenge. I grow, I just have a small courtyard, so I do have to, it restricts on what it you does. can do a lot of the I time. Did. I, th I think if you've got a small space, the best thing you can do is go vertical in whatever mm -hmm. way that is yeah so I'm doing a lot of work looking at kind of vertical veg gardens and wall gardens and things in windows and I use like microgreens things that stick on the windows and utilizing that window space that you've got because really if you're going to grow inside it's all about light and mm -hmm. and if you haven't got a lot of grow lights and I would say that if you are going to seriously grow inside you should invest in some level of grow lights because mm -hmm. you just 
are not realistically going to succeed otherwise. Mm. But your main source of light is from your windows. So you have to focus all your growing around that really. Um, and if you're just using the window ledge, you're really limited on on the space that you've got. Whereas there are solutions that I've kind of put on Instagram and stuff where you can, it allows you to maximize more of that window space. Mm-hmm. So like hanging over door storage racks up in the window or over mm. a glass door you suddenly you can use all of that space yeah. uh, to put little plant pots in and stuff. So Good there one. are solutions. I think you've just got to kind of get creative yeah. with the space you've And except got. that your windows are going to be full of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you're not going to see out of them yeah. or anything. But who wants to see out of them when they're yeah. full of green? <laughs> so um, which crops are you actually growing in indoors, indoors this year? Indoors. Well, I'm doing... I'm kind of uh, got quite a lot of focus on indoor edible house plants mm. is something I'm quite interested in so mm. that a lot yeah. of that is spices so I've got turmeric and ginger on the go and I'm looking at kind of cardamoms and lemongrasses that's and handy because like that. then they're right there for when yeah. exactly if when you cook sometimes exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> <They're there. laughs> and then um I, I've I kind of work with hydroponic towers and aeroponic towers and things and that kind of that's a, a, a big focus for me mm. for the next um, year. So um, I have a, a hydroponic tower in my kitchen. It's got lettuce, it's got tomatoes, it's got it's got pepino melons, it's got, <laughs> I mean, it's got everything. Wow. <laughs> How have you um, found adapting to that new style of growing compared to the sort of conventional in the soil? Personally, I love it. I do. It, it is a different technique in mm. that you and you have it's like you have to learn again. Um, but actually, I found very quickly that I liked the way you could completely manipulate every aspect of what the plant needs. Mm. So you are controlling the pH and the nutrient levels and you choose what nutrients you give it and you can completely manipulate it and in a positive way. It makes mm-hmm. it sound very kind of, uh, you know, industrial, but it, it's not. It's just that, you know, plants have certain requirements and in the soil you've got a kind of, a, a, you know, a loose cannon you don't really mm. know what's in there you mm. know you have a base basic idea of what nutrient levels are in the soil but you just don't really know it could not be terribly nutritious or it could have particularly high levels of certain things plus you've got a lot of kind of soil-borne pests and diseases and removing that whole thing from the equation especially indoors based on the fact that I said you know I have this problem with uh, soil-based pests in my house mm. has been fantastic it's been a real revelation and it's it's made it really realistic to grow a lot more crops indoors yeah I think that's good because I think sometimes, again, it can when you're growing indoors, it can just be kind of a token effort, you know, a token gesture. Of, yeah. I'm going to grow something for the sake of it, but actually yeah. growing and being yeah. able to use yeah. quite a bit of stuff. And it's right there and it's in the kitchen. So, you know, you're preparing a meal and you yeah. pick some leaves off the lettuce and it's right and it goes straight in the bowl because you know what's on it and you know that there's na- no nasty stuff in it. It's great. Love it. That's really great. So in your time gardening, we'd like to finish on something that you've learned. Um, it might be not to post about sweet potatoes on social media. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a new one. <laughs> but I don't know whether you've got anything no, else you'd I, like. I have no regrets. I'm very glad. I'm very glad I posted it and I shall I shall hold my hands up and admit my failure. <laughs> because I think that's really important is that it people is. see that, yeah. do you know what? You, you, you know, it's yes, a learning people. Curve. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's important that people see that even people that are kind of well-known for growing and stuff. I, I kill stuff all the time. <laughs> you know, you just, that's that's human. It's just, you, you know, you mess up. And I think I think my biggest takeaway from, from my experiences with growing and stuff is that the best way to learn, for sure, is to screw up. So just yeah. try and um, don't worry. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, 
you can pick up a, a book, a gardening book, and it will give you tons of information about the way it should be done and all the equipment you need and all the things you need to do it and the time of year you need to do things and stuff. And I think you will learn more if you just have a go, even if it dies. It, you know, yeah. what's the worst that, that can happen? It, you know, it dies and you have to plant it again or you have to wait another season mm. and things. It's not the end of the world if you lose one crop. Um, but you'll find that the next time you go to to approach that that crop or sow those seeds again, you will know what went wrong last time and you will have learned so much more than if you sit down, read how you should have done it and attempt to in replicate theory, that. Exactly. Because even if it goes right that time, you don't really know why. You're just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I did it by the book, so I'm going to do it by the book again. Yeah. But actually, if you just have a go and like, don't be afraid to break the rules a bit, just try stuff and have fun. You're, nine times out of ten, it will go well and you will have learned loads more by just just figuring it out that way. Trial and error is the best way to learn for sure. Absolutely. So I guess we should venture back out into the rain and we will go and grab Rose and come back and do our team chat. Hi guys. Hi Rose. I've come bearing cake. I am so excited. I just saw you walking with cake and my eyes have lit up. There is nothing better on a rainy day. It might be a bit damp though because I did just walk in the rain. So I do apologise. However, I have had a little bit and it is lovely. So you're welcome. Thank you. We just had the best chat with Lucy, which was really cool. And she was talking about space and her work with the European Space Agency. So... Oh, fantastic. I actually have a story about space too. So we can continue the space theme. Yeah, the space episode. So I didn't know if you both knew, but apparently space food is horrible. I, I didn't know that, but I, I th- guess we might have hazarded a guess. Hazarded well, a, guess? a few examples of the food that you can get if you are an astronaut in space is freeze-dried ice cream, liquid salt and pepper and dehydrated prawn cocktail. I have many <laughs> questions about this. How would you... what? What? Yummer. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to taste, but I can't imagine it tastes very nice. No. Um, but they're trying to improve this situation and their space-grown lettuce is going to give astronauts a more varied diet. So they've carried out a I think trial. they need it as well. Can, by I, the can time I just cut in and say, Rose, let us know more. Oh, oh <laughs> I shall. That was brilliant. <laughs> Why do you want to know more? Just because... <laughs> I might just <laughs> remain at this pace. So apparently really this like lettuce though. growing yeah. project is about growing vegetables in a hydroponic sort of system so mm. that right. they're not going to have to eat these horrible freeze-dried foods on like long missions. So for example, they want to go to the moon, they want to go somewhere else, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> where they want to go, but they want to go to these really far off places. And the problem of this food is that A, it tastes bad and B, uh, they've got no nutrients in it. So as we can imagine from dehydrated prawn cocktail. Yeah. Which Still is, reeling from that. I needed <laughs> some dinner inspiration for this. Evening, <laughs> oh, yeah. Rose. Well, that, there you go. Um, so there's also the psychological, you know, uh, benefits of growing plants in space. Mm-hmm. Well, not just in space, but anyway. <laughs> um, so lettuce, here we get to the actual point of the story. Um, lettuce was grown in batches on board this um, spaceship between 2014 and 2016. Mm-hmm. The vegetable production system, known as Veggie, was comprised of plant pillows. So these are sealed units containing ceramic soil, LED lighting and a watering system that involved sort of watering it through a tube. Wow, so it's all like self-contained. Yeah, so it's all like something that the astronauts could do themselves in mm. space. 
Um, so you've got some like soil and bits and bobs there. And I guess it's pretty much like a big greenhouse in space. Um, so the lettuce crops sort of grew on and they actually discovered that they were as probably a bit more or as if the same sort of nutritional content as lettuce that's grown on earth. So wow. one thing that Lucy was saying um, earlier on was that um, food in space can taste different because of zero oh, gravity yeah, and yeah. stuff. Maybe it'll taste even better. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was very similar in composition to lettuce grown in space on earth and some plants were even richer in elements such as potassium sodium phosphorus sulfur and zinc and they did have higher bacteria but that's just probably because of the conditions that were grown in so basically the moural of the story is that we can grow stuff in space is it just lettuce that's that they're so growing um, no that they're planning on yeah quickly, if we literally because <laughs> obviously they can't cook anything so you're oh, just yeah. eating raw <laughs> raw vegetables which is fine but um so nasa is now expanding the range of produce on board with plans for pak choy dragoon lettuce wasabi mustard and red russian kale nice so they're not just going for the bog standard they're going for the bougie fancy Ooh. stuff so nice. astronauts are in for a treat um they yeah. are planning on tomatoes and peppers but you know dragoon lettuce is the top one <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing yeah it's a really interesting story actually i love i really love hearing about growing in space and stuff because it's just completely different yeah and it shows how much we need to grow stuff it's not just on earth mm. it's we need fresh fruit and vegetables in space too Definitely. Can I just say that this cake is delicious? Oh, good. <laughs> but I keep taking a mouthful just as I go to speak, so sorry about that. Okay. Well, shall I dive in next to give you a little bit of eating time? I have found a story on the Healthline website saying that older adults can reduce brain shrinkage by gardening, dancing and walking. Not all at the same time. I should imagine not, but maybe you get a really youthful brain if you do all three <laughs> at once. Researchers have said that moderate gardening, moderate gardening, moderate exercise such as gardening can help slow brain shrinkage. And the study showed that people who did moderate to high levels of exercise had brains with the equivalent of four fewer years of brain aging. <sighs> so would you say that when you're out in your gardens, you feel like you've done some exercise or oh yeah definitely I think I do and the reason why is because the next day I ache when I've been yeah. gardening so I think anything that may uses muscles that you wouldn't usually use definitely feels like exercise weeding is a definite workout yeah, yeah. it's really hard work and it takes ages so if you're just doing that for an hour I think actually I looked at how many calories you burn when you garden and it can be as much as a gym workout so it's like you may as well just garden instead of going to the Mm. gym and what I really like about gardening is that it's exercise but it doesn't necessarily feel like exercise whereas when you go to the gym you're it can be really hard to motivate yourself yeah Yeah, because you're just in the same four walls but Mm -hmm. when you're out in nature and just enjoying yourself and pottering about you forget that you're actually getting a bit of a workout as well on your body and your brain I think a big part of that as well than it not feeling like exercise is you're not specifically doing it for exercise sake if you see what I mean you're doing something else and then you go in and you think oh well I feel like I've done something now so the moral of this story is keep gardening because it really is good for you Anti-aging. It helps get you to 100. <laughs> yeah, I Strong claim, Rose. Strong claim. <laughs> it helps. Claim not sponsored by Grow Your Own no, magazine. No, that's, <laughs> not, that's just my own. Or somewhere. Um, I'm not sure. 
Blake, what are these beautiful pictures you have in front of you? Oh, this is so lovely. And I feel like a lot of people might actually already know about this guy, but I didn't until recently when I saw a story. Um, he's a Japanese chef and food artist called Takahiro Kishimoto. Right. And he transforms your usual everyday veg and fruit as well into the most beautiful pieces of art. Mm. We'll have to share these images um, online because oh, wow. it really is stunning. I'm just going to show you now that it's... A- so we've got broccoli and we've got... Is that broad um, beans? Broad, literal tiny broad I beans that have had that. the most how intricate, he... stunningly beautiful patterns carved into them. He must have perfect eyesight. And a very small knife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's> true. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need to be able to do this? <laughs> Good eyesight and a very small knife. Small knife. <laughs> um, cucumber... Um, I think that is Carrot? carrots. Yeah, radishes. Radish? <laughs> I feel apples. Oh, it's amazing. Does he eat them though afterwards? I don't think I would want to no. eat them if I. But then, what else would you do with them? Because you would just um, have them sitting there. They're a bit soggy so, and but yeah, wrinkly. asked what he does with the creations after finishing them. Um, he said, "I carve and eat it." Okay. <laughs> that, there we the go. No waste artwork. Yeah, I suppose this you know, raises the question, what is the most creative thing you've done with your harvests? Nothing this creative, but when I was a child, me and my sister would enter the local village show where it would be everything from produce a a beautiful bouquet of flowers Mm. from your garden. There were different categories or so one of the categories was always make something out of fruit and veg, Mm. you know, something cool. So, um, I'd often do like an animal, like turn vegetables into an animal, like sticking peas for the eyes or like a potato for the body. And it was really, really cool. And then we were quite good because we always won and we'd win, oh. the, this, we'd win this trophy every year. So each year they'd carve the name of the, the best person, the person that had won the most of the categories. And me and my sister used to battle it out every year. Oh my God. And I still got the trophy. It sits on my wall at home. I'll so. have to bring it in and shower. Yeah, show and tell. Make- Chris Stingles at, in church at Christmas oh, time. Do you remember Chris Stingles? Yeah. You don't really do much though. You just sort of poke things in an orange, but I think that's still creative. <laughs> that is um, creative. I also wanted to make musical instruments out of vegetables because I saw someone do that and then they played a carrot and it looked <laughs> really cool and yeah. I really wanted to play because I <laughs> used to play. Yeah, so I used to play the recorder and then the clarinet and I saw someone like hollowed out a carrot and then played it like a recorder. Um, and I'd just like to, to say it. now, can we set the challenge next week's team chat? Rose is playing a hollowed out. Yeah. <laughs> just for the entire episode. <laughs> I think you're both more creative than me because I think the only thing that has looked like anything that it isn't in my growing history is you know when you're at primary school and you fill like the foot of some tights with some compost and grass seed and then stick googly eyes on it and it grows as hair i forgot that people used to do that i think they got us to do that for father's day one year (laughs) you're lucky dad i know right (laughs) i bet he was thrilled with that grassy tights (laughs) the standard of gifting has not improved I bet your mum was annoyed too when you had to steal one of her pair of tights to stuff a load of Well, soil. yeah. And I mean, I'm just, it's it was a still weird creative. thing, isn't it? Tights with giggly eyes and grass hair. That yeah. is Excellent. quite <laughs> Um But yeah, back to, back to this guy um, that carves fruit and vegetables. Go and follow him on Instagram if you're on Instagram. 
I did it a couple of weeks ago. No regrets. It's the best decision I've made on Instagram for a while. I love seeing his posts come up because they are so beautiful and just really inspiring. I'm just like, this is so cool. So do it. Very, very beautiful. It makes you um, realise how wonderful fruit is. It does. So I suppose we better put our swimming gear on and swim back to the office. Yeah, and it does feel like that right now. We will throw across to Chris Collins from the Organic Gardening Catalogue for his organic tip of the week. I think my biggest tip for growing plants is using seaweed extract. I swear by this stuff, especially as I'm a big container gardener grower. Seaweed extract contains all the trace elements. It's like a tonic. It really does build the plant up, make it stocky, make it PND resistant, pest and disease resistant. I like to actually spray it on. A lot of people water it on, but I like to on a still day, no wind, early in the morning, I spray it on and I think it gets into the stomata, the holes on the leaves and then straight into the pipework of the plant, the vascular bundle. I'll do that every three or four weeks for the first three months of the growing season and I guarantee you it gets you results. That's my tip of the week. Now over to the Grow Your Own team, jobs on the plot. March is the month that heralds the start of the spring and the beginning of a busy start in the garden. For a lot of us, March is also the month that springs us into action. However, we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to a sudden arrival of wet, windy, cold and even snowy weather. So make sure to keep an eye on soil temperatures and only sow directly into vegetable beds when it is at least 7 degrees. The end of winter might be good news for those of us who can't wait to get started, but the warmer weather also means that weeds will be springing into action too. It's important to remove weeds as soon as possible, as this helps to stop them from taking over the garden. However, a little and often approach will also stop the problem from spiralling in the warmer summer months. Now is a good time to prepare for runner beans that will be sown in April. Dig troughs that are around 50cm in width and 30cm deep and fill them with compost as runner beans like good fertile soil. You can also get ahead by building a tent structure with canes ready to train your beans up later in the season. If temperatures start to rise towards the end of the month, make sure to open greenhouse vents, doors and windows during the day in order to allow for a good level of ventilation throughout. However, make sure to shut these before leaving the plot at night in order to protect your seedlings from the cold weather. If the weather is dry, then water pots regularly to ensure even soil moisture. However, make sure to focus on the roots and not the foliage when watering, otherwise fungal diseases can occur. Now that it's spring, it's time to start thinking about planting fruit trees such as apple, cherries and figs. These plants do best in a sunny but well-sheltered spot and should be mulched with well-rotted manure or a garden compost in order to lock in moisture. Take care not to mound it around the trunk as this could cause the root ball to rot. It's likely that temperatures will remain relatively low this month. If this remains the case, get early sowing started in a propagator. Electric propagators will work best, but even just placing seeds on a warm windowsill will result in much better germination. From all of us here at Grow Your Own, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Whether you're an accomplished organic grower or just interested in learning about growing in a more natural way, the Organic Gardening Catalogue is for you. They're the one-stop shop for all things garden-related. They've got a fantastic selection of seeds, plants, tools and more. 
Be inspired by growing organic, whether it be in a garden, an allotment, or even on a city balcony. Visit organiccatalogue.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe to The Dirt for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell your allotment neighbours. We have some really exciting guests coming up and one of them could be you. Do you or someone you know have some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny disasters on the plot? Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know. Plus, as a special treat for a monthly dose of trusted garden advice from the whole Grow Your Own team, we've got an exclusive offer just for the Dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash pod G, that's P-O-D-G, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote pod G to get three issues of Grow Your Own magazine for just £6 and every issue comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms.